Audiogan is proud to partner with Unbox Cultural Futures Society and What Design Can Do. What Design Can Do is an international organization that seeks to accelerate the transition to a sustainable, fair and just society using the power of design. What Design Can Do is launching Make It Circular Challenge, a global design competition building a circular future in partnership with IKEA. This challenge invites designers and creative entrepreneurs from everywhere to submit design-driven climate innovations. The end goal? To show the world that circular future is not only imaginable, but actionable. Winning projects will be propelled into 2023 with a 10,000 euro in funding and a tailor-made development program. Submit your proposals online for free by 31st Jan 2023. Check out the design briefs and learn more about it on Make It Circular dot what design can do dot com link in the show notes and now today's episode this is audio gan and i am your host kedar nimkar welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the indian creative world Swami Vivekanand once said that get extensity with intensity, but not at its expense. I guess uh, today's guest has been trying to achieve both very elegantly in her practice, uh, both breadth and depth at the same time. Happy to have Ruchika Nambiar with us on AudioGAN. Ruchika is an artist, designer and writer. Her work ranges across media from publishing books, graphic memoirs, interactive social media stories, designing, consulting, practice for brands and businesses, as well as mentorship programs for young artists and designers. We'll be talking about what it takes to or what it's being an interdisciplinary designer. She has some really cool, well-documented videos on her YouTube channel and website. Uh, links in the show notes. So welcome, Ruchika, uh, to AudioGAN. And thanks, thanks for giving your time. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Kedar. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. So I've, uh, I'm sort of, I, I wish to ha- have the conversation mainly revolving around what it means or what is it like being an interdisciplinary designer. And since you're an artist, designer, and I've heard these words, multidisciplinary artist and interdisciplinary designer. So I just <laughs> wanted to start off uh, by asking uh, what's what's your definition of design and then what's your definition of art? Like, how do you see it? Uh, because you have been engaged in academic practices as well. So mm-hmm. maybe good to understand as a founding st- founding block, I can say. Um, so I don't know. I've never really, uh, as you can probably tell from my work, I've never really bothered with classifying myself in any specific or definitive uh, way. I just kind of like flit around doing whatever it is that I like to do. And then I worry about the labels and the definitions later. But I think um, in terms of um, the sort of distinction between art and design specifically, I, I've always seen design as something of a strategic activity. It's not a, I've never seen design as being the content of the work, but rather the method or the approach or the, um, uh, it's a, it's about how you do something rather than what you do. And I've always thought of art in the opposite way, where it's, it's about um, what you're putting into the work and what you're trying to say with it and design being how you say it and how you uh, choose to kind of um, um, communicate. And I've never been um, one of those artists who are, you know, 
okay to leave their work open to interpretation or chance. I'm a very controlling person, actually. So <laughs> I like to, um, I, I think of every um, art project also as a, as a, a project of design where, you know, I'm thinking about um, what it means to communicate an idea and how best to do that and how to go about that in a very strategic way. What is the effect it's having on uh, the person that's consuming it? Um, and how do you go about making that better? So it's almost as if I approach uh, even my art projects or my writing projects with something of um, a strategic design sensibility uh, to try and it's almost as if there are you know, conversion metrics in some sense, right? Which is not mm -hmm. something you necessarily hear um, about artwork. You Usually people, uh, art is open to interpretation, open to sort of subjective interpretation. Uh, but I've never really quite been okay with that because I feel like um, I'm a communicator uh, at the core of everything else. And so for me, effective communication means that something, somebody is getting uh, out of my work exactly what it is that I want them to get out of it almost like you would measure conversion rates when you're using a website or an app or something like that it's I I always want to kind of make sure that somebody is understanding exactly what it is that I'm saying and how I'm saying it and so I feel like that way I, I try to be very intentional about all of my choices um, when it comes to my uh, practice no matter what type of project I'm working on uh, what kind of medium I'm choosing what kind of what style of communication how effective is it in getting um, its message across so I think I think that's that's where the sort of interplay between art and design enters my practice. Great, great. I think I resonate uh, with uh, your thought process on multiple levels because even I'm not an artist, but as you can see, some artwork which I'm trying to do, and it's typically mm -hmm. trying to communicate something, uh, and I wish to control the narrative. While right. uh, because of AudioGAN and my sort of just like good uh, fortune to speak with like really great artists as well, mm -hmm. who are like mm -hmm. stricter in a strict sense, more more artists. Mm -hmm. Recently, I interviewed uh, Srijan Deshpande and he said, uh, I think he quoted some famous definition of art, which is art is half truth. And <laughs> then the rest of the truth is left on to the audience to uncover right. or discover or interpret. Um, yeah. So do you do you feel, I mean, I, because even I'm in that same zone, what you mentioned, I've been trying to explore that. Does it have to have a meaning? Does it need to follow a particular lineage? Does it have a pedigree? Are there these kind of people? Uh, and somewhere I stumbled upon didactive art. Does it sort of come on that front or no? Like you haven't given it any categorization, as you said. Yeah, I can't, I can't say that I've thought about uh, again, I, I hardly, I hardly ever really reflect on definitions too much. Or rather, the only reason that I reflect on definitions is because other people always ask me, you know, to kind of describe what I do, and then I have to start, you know, kind of sit down and think about um, it creating this sort of, uh, yeah, like this retroactive narrative that sort of ties my practice um, together. Um, but I, I would think that. Um, I mean, in terms of um, the conversation around pedigree, there is, of course, a perceivable pedigree and lineage to any kind of um, industry and any kind of uh, any any specific uh, discipline. But I, I feel like um, within the uh, creative industry, 
it's you can kind of enter it from anywhere in a sense, right? There are people who, who who are trained in a particular way who are able to enter it in one way. And then there are people who are, um, say, self-taught. They're also able to enter it in a different way. And they're all able to bring different types of value into the space. Um, they, may, they may kind of contest with each other in different ways on different sort of battlegrounds. Um, but at the same time, they are all able to kind of enter into the space and make something out of it for themselves. Um, and so the, the the barrier for entry is uh is is quite different in the creative industry you are able to mm. it's 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 lower and you are a lot, a lot of different types of people are able to enter it with their own perspectives with their own um skills and um i i've always uh, again i've always thought that you know this uh, creating this sort of um hardline distinction between who is an artist and who is a designer has always been kind of misguided because in my view they're not necessarily, it's like comparing apples and oranges. They're not necessarily comparable in that way. Because like I was saying, I think um, art is about what you put into it and design is about how you do it. And in that sense, I feel like I have always maintained that I think everybody, literally everybody should have some sort of basic training in design, because I just think it's an, it's just an important life skill to have at a certain point where I have seen how People who have certain design sensibilities just are able to go about their life in a different way and go about their work in a different way, even if they're an accountant or administrator or somebody who has absolutely nothing to do with the creative industry, just to know how to be able to say, put together a pitch or, or you know, present an idea to an investor or anything like that. If you're a salesperson, if you're a, um, if, uh, if you're a, you, you know, even just, even just putting an Excel sheet together, if you're an accountant, it makes such a difference when you are, yeah. uh, when you understand um, the sensibilities of design and to be able to kind of translate those skills into any medium, whatever you're working in, um, makes such a difference to the way that you are able to communicate yourself to other people, the way that you're able to persuade them towards your ideas. And that's that's the crux of, I mean, that's what any job boils down to, right? It's you just trying to persuade somebody to do something a certain way, um, whether you're persuading them to sell something, whether you're persuading them towards a certain idea. And so I think that, you know, just knowing what it means to be a a good designer it becomes such a crucial skill set in that process and so i've always maintained that every everybody should be a you know a better designer um, <laughs> in some sense or learn to be a better designer because i think it just um um it helps them in their practice no matter what and i find that that is especially um useful for me in my art practice because it comes down to like the little details of how do I choose to present my work on my website or what, how, how am I choosing to communicate uh, my uh, work? How am I choosing to talk about my work? It comes into my art and writing practice where I'm thinking about what is, what does it mean for somebody to um, consume my writing, even if I'm doing a more um, uh, academic piece and ac academic writing typically, I mean, it's, it's uh, there is a, there is a fair range, but, on on the whole, the perception of academic writing is that it's quite dry and um, um, very, uh, you know, kind of dense to consume. And so I have always been sort of invested in this question of how to counter that a little bit. How do you think about it in a way that makes it easier to consume, more digestible? And so I think digestibility has been like a big um, um, 
undercurrent within all yeah that that runs across all of my um work where i am always continuously trying to think of how even if this is a really complex piece of work to consume how do you make it pleasant to consume how do you make it easy to consume how do you um you know think about uh it being a pleasurable experience for the person who's consuming your work and i feel like that kind of thoughtfulness comes from you know being uh trained in the sort of um uh trained in the discipline of design and being able to think about how somebody consumes your work and i think that that's just a i feel like it's just a very basic skill that everybody should have <laughs> or should be trained in because it just it it really kind of um helps you take your work to yeah, to a different yeah. place in a different level okay so i think uh, i mean i'm quite excited about the follow up questions because mm-hmm. i see a lot more common in the thought process that sort of you follow and uh, because when i am sort of when you said that it should be almost like a life skill because in my workshops or wherever i take sort of design sessions uh, right. i generally give this redesign your railway indian railway ticket which is kind mm-hmm. of a pass or a railway like just basic stuff and if yeah. a, a young student who like is sensitive uh mm-hmm. or or at least has some aesthetic angle has some communication sort of mm-hmm. understanding that hey like this is important than this and if whatever for whatever reason he or she becomes a somewhere in railways or whatever and they right. are exposed to that early on in their life yeah. it will make a big difference while taking certain decisions even if it's outsourced sure. completely yeah exactly yeah. for sure yeah, yeah. Uh, i i think i mean i i have the, i i said this at some point where i feel like design is really just a way of pushing the world closer to what it should be and i think that 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 takes many different forms and that that's basically about how we interact with the world around us in in whatever forms it presents itself um to us and and i think just thinking about how something can be a little bit closer to ideal whether that's a a billboard or a railway ticket or a um you know a, a chair what, whatever it is um you uh, you're just basically yeah. thinking about how um how to kind of push the world just a tiny bit closer to the way it should be um and i think yeah. that's why it it can be a uh it, it needs to be a skill that just cuts across all disciplines and so nobody should ever be faced with the question of like um are you a designer specifically or, or are you an artist are you a designer are you a, are you an accountant are you an hr person that shouldn't be a question because design should just be a skill like math or like um yeah, yeah. Uh, history where everybody's And, had yeah. some sort of basic training uh, in it you know yeah i i hope uh, with the new education policy they are saying that it will be part of the curriculum mm. from those standard right. let's see yeah. okay so uh, so just uh, moving to the next one is that what does it sort of really means to be an interdisciplinary designer uh i mean for my from where i am standing today i'm slightly confused that is it an outcome is it an input like you you want to become like that or i know you have captured that in in multiple talks but i just thought yeah. that could help uh, some yeah. of the listeners so yeah that this is something i actually uh, enjoy talking about specifically because um where in this particular time where there is this appeal and this allure of being interdisciplinary and so i like to give time and uh talk about 
um, all of the different practical realities and challenges that go into trying to be interdisciplinary, because I think it's important for people to understand um, what it is, but also what it isn't and why it can sometimes be difficult, why sometimes maybe it's not, not the choice for a particular person. And maybe it's just that they're, you know, kind of trying to um, experiment with a few things before they find their sort of natural calling, which is also very um valid and very likely thing to happen with a lot of people where, you know, they try out a lot of different things and then they find that one really kind of speaks to them uh, uh, more strongly and then they're able to, you know, um, completely immerse themselves uh, in that particular um, discipline. But I think that being an interdisciplinary um, practitioner has um, a lot of different advantages in that you can you're able to draw from various you're able to draw from skill sets across a, a variety of um, disciplines so being able to um, understand the nuances of writing or being able to understand the nuances of say a particular um, type of um, craft that you material you know, something that you work with uh, uh, with your hands um, or being able to um, again just being able to cut across different disciplines and be able to draw from their skill sets starts kind of these, these things start bleeding into um, each other and they are able to then inform um, every aspect of your uh, practice. And um, so I, I find that for me, at least the one of the advantages of being uh, an interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary or cross-disciplinary practitioner, whatever it is, um, I, I find that uh, it allows me to kind of um, capture my audience's interest in uh, new and unexpected ways, simply because um, my my work is always kind of form agnostic and it kind of tends to, uh, different disciplines and mediums tend to bleed into one another. Nothing is ever uh, very neatly or cleanly uh, classified or put into a specific box. Um, for example, recently I wrote this um, very sort of academic essay here where I am at uh, RISD right now. And um, and I chose to kind of write it in almost a little bit like a graphic, graphic novel, like a graphic essay. Um, and so being able to kind of um, borrow from different disciplines and put that into a piece of um, work uh, helps kind of create an uh, outcome that is not entirely expected. And I find that that captures people's interest a lot more easily and it allows them to kind of enter a, a piece of work in a, in a new way. And it also keeps them a little bit on their toes as to what to expect from a particular piece. And it allows them the, uh, the opportunity to kind of be surprised by something. They're not able to fully, um, you know, uh, fully figure out what to expect from a certain piece. They don't come into it with the same preconceived notion. So I feel that it really kind of dissolves a lot of barriers that people may usually uh, enter um, a piece of work with, um, where, you know, a uh, lot of people, if they can, are able to classify. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to ask, like, is, I mean, I'm, I'm getting the drift, but is it finally to achieve an output as in like this is the intent I want to reach out to these people or help them understand or communicate better or what is the idea or is it 
more of a intrinsic drive to explore other things i mean yes uh, it's always a balance but mm-hmm. where is it skewed towards mainly in right. your context maybe uh, i would say for me at least it's more outcome driven because i feel like i have always for me the the um sort of core um goal behind any project that i do is to be able to um communicate a certain idea and for me that communication needs to be it needs to um be as wide ranging as possible i want as many people as possible to be able to access a certain idea even if it's a complex idea even if it's an idea that they've not engaged with even if it's an idea that makes them uncomfortable and so i've never wanted to be very limiting in terms of who or what my audience is and i've always tried to see okay how how can i uh if i if i am writing a very very academic piece can i make it such that even my mother who does not care for that type of work can you know uh enter into the piece and find a way to engage with it and find a way to get value out of it and so i feel like my work at least is very um is is very much outcome driven um and i think that's why i care so much about um the form and the uh medium in which something is communicated um because i i feel like i i want to be able to use all my skill sets across all disciplines to be uh able to uh you know communicate something more effectively so if i have design skills that will help me do that if i have writing skills that will help me do that if i have artistic skills or uh visual narrative skills that will help me do that i want to bring all of those together so that it creates the most effective kind of communication and i feel like communication is a very um outcome driven goal you are mm-hmm. when you're trying to communicate something you are trying to um make sure that the person on the other end is getting it in exactly the way that you want them to get it and i feel like that has been um a driving force behind any kind of project that i've uh worked on where i am um there there are a lot of people who will you know are are putting into some uh, putting putting their thoughts and ideas into a piece of work so that it can almost um you know the work can kind of hold it and store it and they, they, they may not be so concerned with how it's read beyond a certain um you know beyond a certain circle or bubble like maybe they just need it to be readable and digestible only to um say like-minded people or people in the same industry um and for me that has never really been uh, the the case with my work for me i've always wanted um i i don't care so much about people in my specific discipline or industry being able to consume my work i'm like i i'm i'm like i don't i don't want to think about um who exactly is consuming my work i wanted to be as wide ranging as as possible and be able to speak to as many people uh, as i can manage and obviously that's a that's a bit of a uh, an idealistic or i mean it's it's also kind of a it's a horizon you can never really reach there is no there is no piece of work that is that's always going to speak to everybody that you mm-hmm. on the planet but um at the same time i feel like that that um that's the driving mainly yeah yes, yeah yeah striving for that kind of goal um really uh helps kind of hel- helps me push further and try to try to keep sort of improving on um how my work communicates itself mm. yeah good to know that because i have a like a almost identical but a parallel narrative which mm-hmm. i was grappling with is i'm still sort of exploring but uh, i don't remember where and i was trying to find out that ted talk uh, mm-hmm. before uh, this uh, recording was that 
I think there was this woman woman who said, like, I want to bust the myth of jack of all, master of none kind of right. uh, thing. And but her sort of exploration and the reason why I said it's a parallel, uh, identical but a parallel sort of stream because words fail so like prose fails so they go to poetry and poetry mm-hmm. fails so they go to painting and painting fails so they go to sculpture right so they go interdisciplinary uh they go sort of uh yeah cross disciplinary but it's just because they feel that the medium is not strong enough for right. them to express it's a it's right. a different school of thought and i think that's more from a internal thing than an outcome driven but right. yeah i i think I think there is, I mean, this uh, this question of Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I definitely, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I like to kind of challenge that as well um, a little bit because um, it is, I, I do like to engage in lots of different types of work. Um, and so I've never really wanted to put myself in the position of having to choose between any of them. And I feel like that has driven a lot of my um, uh efforts and the way that I have tried to map out my career trajectory in general is is to see how I can um, support all of these different types of practices while still making them sort of financially viable um, and not just treating them all like hobbies, but being treating them with a certain level of um, seriousness. But at the same time, this is why I like to talk to people about what it means to be interdisciplinary, especially when they are uh, in my mentorship program with, you know, sort of young artists and designers, all of whom have this question. A lot of people, the reason I had made that video that you're talking about, uh, where I'm talking about what it means to have an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary practice is because I get that question really often from young artists and designers about what it actually means. They have a lot of different interests. How do you bring that together into a cohesive practice? How do you, how do you take all of these different ideas forward? across these different uh, disciplines. And so the thing that I always maintain with them is, um, in a way, the jack of all trades, master of none problem is a real one, simply because um, you can, uh, with with any discipline, there is a certain craft to it. And there is a certain craft to writing, for example, there's a craft to miniature making, there is a craft to any kind of um, uh, artistry. And um, the more the more you do anything, the better you get at it. I mean, that's that's something uh, anybody can sort of, um, you know, kind of uh, understand through practice. Like, for example, you, I think, w- what e- what episode number is this? This is somewhere in the hundreds, I think. Um, this one, the one which we're recording? The, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it will be around 263rd or oh, something. Oh, there, yeah. To, yeah, so it's in, in the high 200s. Um, but um, j- just by doing 200 episodes, there would have been so many learnings that happened in that process. Um, and, you know, or somebody who's um, who's cooking on an everyday basis, they know the difference on day one and day 30 and day 90 and day, you know, day 200. But uh, so there is there is a, uh, a certain learning to be had by sticking with one discipline and, and being able to kind of um, get better at it. And this is where the sort of practicality of interdisciplinarity comes into it is that um, being interdisciplinary is a very alluring thing, especially when you are younger and when you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, wanting to explore a lot of different things. You don't really want to tie yourself down to any one particular discipline. The challenge of it comes about when you start reaching, reaching your sort of um, 
um, the the mid-career stage where you are trying to ramp up and you're trying to level up, you're trying to be able to monetize your work, you're trying to be able to, um, you know, land bigger projects, more profitable projects and things like that. And that's where the, uh, that's where the sort of questions and doubts start to come in as to mm. how skilled am I really in this particular type of work to be able to say, charge a certain amount for it, to be able to go after certain kinds of projects or certain kinds of clients. Um, and then it, it kind of uh, it it can uh, to a certain degree impact your own confidence in your ability to do those things because you you may feel like I'm just not skilled enough in this particular thing. So that is a very real problem that comes up when you dabble across different disciplines where you've done a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you find you reach a particular stage where you know a lot of different things, a little bit of a lot of different things, but you're never fully sure as to whether you are good enough at any of them to be able to to be considered, say, um, an expert in that particular area. Because the reality is that when you may be interdisciplinary, you know, that that is a that's something that people will be very interested um, um, in when it comes to just thinking about your practice as a whole. But when people actually come to you for work, like somebody is coming to me for a specific kind of work, they're coming to me for, say, a design consulting project, a branding project, a publication design project, or they're coming to me for a miniature art commission. Um, they are going to look at those specific things and they're coming, they're going to come to you if they think you're good at it. And so you uh, then are, the onus is then on you to be able to uh, build different skills in parallel. And that is an extraordinarily challenging and exhausting thing to um, do. But at the same time, again, if you kind of be strategic about it and be aware of, of that problem that you're going to come up against, I think there are ways to kind of mitigate it and, and work around it uh, as long as you see it coming. So, and then you don't allow yourself to, you don't allow it to sneak up on you. Um, and so I think uh, that that's, that's something I, I always stress on when I'm talking to young artists and designers who are just kind of starting out, want to do a whole bunch of different things. And so I'm always sort of careful to tell them that's great. And I think that's a, that's a, an amazing place to start. I, I always advocate for being as interdisciplinary as you can, but you also want to be aware of what challenges come with being uh, interdisciplinary so that you can work around them and be, you know, sort of um, uh, know how to navigate it more uh, intelligently so that you don't end up coming up uh, against this problem. And, and also sometimes interdisciplinarity can be a sort of, I mean, it's romanticized and fetishized uh, a little bit where, you know, it's, it's this very uh, romantic, idealistic idea of never really having to pick a particular discipline. But then there are a lot of times where, like I was saying, the more people get comfortable with uh, their own work, the more awareness they build around their own work, they find that, you know, they're just automatically drawn towards a particular medium and they want to kind of settle mm. down and commit themselves to it. Uh, and I feel like that's a, also a very valid um, choice to make and people should kind of give themselves the freedom to um, uh, do that at a later stage in their life if if it, if it they so choose, you know, so they don't want to marry themselves too strongly also to this this notion of interdisciplinarity uh, and then box themselves in and later say, oh, no, I actually want to like be a filmmaker and I just want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, mm. But at the same time, I have like branded myself so strongly as this interdisciplinary person that I can't really let go of it. And I need to keep, you know, doing these hundred different things uh, all at once. So I feel like um, people need to be willing also to kind of just let go of their interdisciplinarity at a later stage if, if they, if, you know, if their career takes that um that path correct 
No, it's it's amazing. And I think all these sort of questions or whatever we call very loosely midlife crisis, like mm-hmm. 30s and 40s, mein, like <laughs> what am I going to do next? Uh, those kind of questions uh, in the career aspect, I think they come when you are a little more aware of yourself. Uh, right. And and sort of you, you introspect or you reflect back on your work mm-hmm. and look after. I, like I'm not, at least in my sort of immediate network or like, Three, three circles down the line. Very few of them really pause and reflect. And it's, it's right. very critical. But it doesn't happen. And I keep swinging between these two ex- spectrums where I want to try everything. And that's mm-hmm. one sign uh, of which is manifested as audio again. I, I speak to musicians and sculptors and puppeteers right. and writers, everyone. And somewhere in my career, I've been just going deeper and deeper in understanding problem statements and building digital products. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm trying to find that right balance. Uh, and the closest that I've come to was the quote which I started was that mm-hmm. get extensity uh, with intensity and not at its expense. Uh, and the way I'm trying to sort of uh, maybe some tip from my side is that for the listeners, obviously, uh, is I've narrowed down to two definitions, which is mm-hmm. one is Vikalp and one is Sankalp. Vikalp is like you explore, you keep, you go right. horizontally, you go wide, you just like do all the window shopping that you want. But yeah. then Sankalp is that you get into one store uh, and just buy the stuff and probably wear mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's there's no there's no boundary or like right. directive as such. It's just <laughs> you 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 land up in acquiring or or sort of yeah whatever finds you peace <laughs> yeah no and i think that is a um uh that's that's the sort of challenge people um face when they when they're trying to sort of build this interdisciplinary practices they don't quite know what the how to practically go about it where you you know you want to do all of these different things but then what does it actually mean to try and do multiple things at once what does it mean to Mm. actually like you were saying go into a store and actually commit to um something and i i feel like the the um how how to kind of manage your time becomes a very very important um crucial question in that uh, process because then it, it i always talk about how it makes sense um to have certain kinds of um, slightly long-term goals, like goals that are going over a couple of months or maybe a yearly goal and things like that, where, you know, y- you focus on a, a specific kind of uh, project or a specific kind of discipline for a significant chunk of time so that you're mm. building a certain kind of familiarity with it. You're not jumping across things from a week to week necessarily, or even if you are, you are still, ha- you know, putting in a dedicated amount of time into one particular thing so that you're actually able to take that to the next uh, level and not just kind of leave everything in this middling position and uh, leave everything a little half-baked where you are kind of trying to um, uh, make sure that everything is is done with a certain kind of intentionality and a certain kind of rigor um, no matter what discipline you're working in and um, so I think that that becomes important about you know how you end up managing your time uh, and devoting your time across uh, different things yeah Actually, that that sparked one like top of the mind. Like it mm-hmm. just it just struck me is that maybe that was one of the reasons uh, the Guru Shishya Parampara was really helpful back then. I mean, mm-hmm. first twenty years, yes, you were under guidance of someone 
right uh, hopefully a good guru uh, guru in the true sense not yeah. in the recent sense but yeah. uh, and then hopefully you find that one thing much early right. maybe in 20s and between 20 to 25 yeah. you figure out that this is my calling otherwise the guru also can guide you and yeah. and then you can pursue it i think that was that was an interesting thought because when you said that it could be a natural calling mm-hmm. i think just to facilitate it maybe yes. early on you can go deeper into multiple things yeah. for yeah. sure i i think that's what makes mentorship so important because i feel like education or like the education system doesn't necessarily focus on uh, uh you know building a reflective practice for yourself um and like you were mentioning as well i mean that that becomes such a crucial um aspect i have always tried to build as much self-awareness as I can about my work and about myself and that uh, I try to put that into my uh, work but um, that that's not a that that again is another life skill that should be (laughs) should be taught is a a very basic skill like math and it isn't and I think um, that what you said right now about this guru-shishya relationship where you know you have somebody who is able to kind of um guide you through your thinking and that's that's what's uh, the crux of it it's not about them necessarily teaching you i mean it might come with them teaching you some specific kind of skill but at the same time it's it's about them being able to clarify your thought processes and help you just reflect in a more aware manner about mm. yourself and your work and then that ends up bleeding into all aspects of your life and the way that you show up in your life um and i think that that just becomes really important so i feel like that's why i think mentorship then becomes an important thing because for me at least I've had some really great mentors across my uh, the last uh, 10 years or so who've really kind of helped me think about my work uh, more clearly and helped me kind of push it to the next level and uh, um, so I think that 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 becomes really important to then kind of seek out and identify mentors who can do that um, for you and be able to um, impact you in that way. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, So maybe you can also talk about I mean, yeah, we are just coming down more to na, to the uh, real world from the the philosophical. Right. Is that um, I'm sure you must be following certain these kind of interdisciplinary designers, or mm-hmm. maybe in your example also, what comes first? Is it sort of the thought to hey, I want to play with clay, or I want to play with? I mean, there are different mediums, yeah. right? So, what does what does the thought comes first, uh, as in this is what I want to communicate. I want to say, like, talk about whatever the 3000 forts that Shivaji conquered and whatever, like mm. some World War II kind of an episode, yeah. which I want to communicate. Yeah. Or you you stumble upon an interesting material or a piece of writing. Yeah. And that's how it sparks. Like, typically what happens, maybe if you're not aware of other people or or maybe yes, but in your case also, it would be great. Um, so I think what what draws me to um, any any anybody else's work is really um, their ability to uh, package complexity, and they're able they're able to kind of uh, ex, you know kind of express very very complex experiences, and that usually I end up being drawn to different storytellers of some kind. There is a mm. miniature artist called Laurie Nix who creates these um, incredible uh, apocalyptic sort of dioramas. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, I am drawn to like uh, the work of 
comic artist Chris Ware or uh, Alison Bechtel, who writes uh, um, graphic novels, or um, even uh, writers like David Foster Wallace or Valeria Luiselli. Um, I am I'm basically interested in how people are able to communicate experiences with a certain kind of nuance. Um, and when they're able to do that successfully, that's what really kind of excites me about um, someone else's uh, work and to be able to really break down their techniques and processes. I like to think of of people who are able to do that. I, I tend to think of them as very, very skilled technicians. There is a certain finesse to their technique and their ability to kind of um, weave different things together. And it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, somebody composing a piece of music or like, uh, you know, putting together something really complicated with different elements. And then there is a good way to do it. There's a better way to do it. There's, uh, you know, an ideal way to do it. And so there is a there is a sort of um, um, spectrum of value and spectrum of quality. And um, so that's why I like to think of them as technicians, where it's it, thinking about how somebody even composes something as simple as a sentence and the choices that they make in, in putting something like that together, or how you compose an image, how do you uh, put together a series of images, how do you put together something like a graphic novel, what's happening in the boxes, what's happening in between, uh, what's happening in the little gaps in between. So when, when, I'm see, when I see somebody who's able to think about those things and play with those elements, with a certain kind of intentionality and towards a certain kind of effect. Um, I, I feel like those are the works that I'm drawn towards uh, most and those are the works that I take inspiration from um, in my own um, work to, to think about how to, you know, kind of weave together multiple uh, very complex elements uh, in a harmonious way and to ultimately just be able to communicate a really complex and layered experience because if, for me, I feel like that's what any of my work is trying to do is to be able to take, um, you know, um, complicated experiences and then be able to translate them into some kind of form where the person who's consuming it is able to experience almost the same thing or get as close to the original source um, as possible. And so to be able to harness different different skill sets to be able to do that as effectively as possible um, is is what kind of excites me in what, my work. And so when I see other people being able to successfully do that in their work, I think that's what um, really kind of gets me going. Mm -hmm. But doesn't it? Because if it, is it sort of fair to assume that it's not starting off with a thought, but it's kind of gray and fuzzy in the start. But as you kind of explore, it's more of an artistic I think, Dhani, but d doesn't it sort of restrict because the the ways to communicate a thought could be endless? Sure. So then how do you curate that? Yes, I want to tell. By the way, I made a mistake by saying 3000. It's 374 of Shivaji. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, like how do you curate that? I want to tell this story or mm -hmm. I want to communicate this piece of content or information or whatever the backstory right uh, and there are like eight different ways there could be a miniature the, the dollhouse yeah, yeah. project sure. i mean i'm sure the dollhouse project could have uh, yeah, it, come up in it different takes, it, it, on, it on its own takes up uh, a few different i mean it, it ends up expressing itself in multiple multiple different ways for sure correct so um, then how do you arrive at like okay this is good enough um, I feel like I, I I don't know if I have a good answer to your question, but um, I think 
I try to be as intuitive as I can about mm-hmm. how I um, approach my work, where um, I have a certain um, feel for a particular kind of idea if it if it needs a certain kind of depth that can only be explored in writing, or if it has a particular kind of um, if I want my um, uh, audience to be able to visualize it in a particular way, and then I need a visual component to it. Uh, if I am, um, uh, if if I want them to interact with it in a certain way, maybe it requires, um, you know, sort of uh, it expresses itself in the form of miniatures. Um, I I feel like those decisions. I I can't say that I necessarily necessarily arrive at it with any conscious intentionality because I feel mm. like. When I think of an idea for me, like you said, it's a little gray and fuzzy, but at the same time, I have a kind of a, I always start with a vision of what the project um, is going to look like at the, uh, at the end when I have a particular idea and I think, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be great as a book. This is going to be great as a miniature uh, project. And um, so I, I, these outputs end up being quite different from project to project. But at the same time, when I start with a particular project, it's usually with a fairly clear idea of what I want the final thing mm. to look like. I usually have like this, this sort of vision of what I what I want the mm-hmm. actual artifact of the piece um, to look like. So um, for example, even if I just start writing a book in my head, I'm already picturing what it means to hold that book in my hand. What is the cover like? What is the kind of paper I'm going to use for it? So I have this um, idea of what I want this object to be in the world and how I want how I want it to uh, kind of manifest in in the world. And so I always kind of start from that place. I don't quite I don't know quite know how to break down what that process is get it, get in terms no, no, of I, 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 um, so, you know. <laughs> Uh, where where does that particular idea come from? Where does it originate? Um, you know, yeah. where where does the when is the seed planted? It might have just been something that, for example, with my um, graphic memoir, the breadcrumb, that came about because I was um, I had read um, this other graphic novel, Fun Home, by Alison Bechtel, and I became you know acquainted with her work and. I started reading these graphic novels and realizing that this is just an, a, a fantastic medium to be able to um, express a certain kind of mm-hmm. internal monologue. And so, uh, yeah, I think to a, a, some degree, it comes from um, engaging with other people's work and seeing okay. what's possible within a certain medium. And then that sparks an idea of, oh, there's this there's this particular idea that I want to express and I think it would work really well in, term, in the form of a graphic novel. And so I think um, being uh, being engaged with other people's work then becomes really crucial in kind of setting off those um, those um, sparks of inspiration and, um, you know, those, those ideas. Like uh, I did not even know that I had any interest in miniature making until I took a very random diorama making course, like a four week diorama making course back in undergrad. Um, And that was completely out of the blue. And I had no idea that I had any particular interest in miniatures, but that course for me allowed me to kind of discover this entirely new medium of storytelling. And when I discovered that, I was like, this is a fantastic medium for being able to tell these visual three-dimensional, you know, sort of um, non-linear stories. And so for me, the minute I discover the possibilities of a medium, I feel like maybe that sparks a particular idea that that would then translate well into 
that medium where mm-hmm. I think, oh, this is an this is a really interesting medium to tell a nonlinear story and and to be able to kind of create this little um, microcosm or this little world um, that is kind of within our within our world, but also separate from it. And so when I think about um, uh, the possibilities of the medium, that for me, that was when the idea for the Dollhouse project was first, um, uh, you know, kind of seeded into my brain where um, I was thinking, oh, it would be wonderful and exciting to be able to create like this little parallel reality or this little parallel universe where a different version of myself is able to live her own life and um, Mm -hmm. so that that came about because I was then introduced to the medium of miniature making so I think yeah I mean through answering your question I feel like I have now become a little bit more aware of where that um, how that thought process begins of like what medium to choose I think when I discover a new medium or when I'm acquainted with a new medium and I think oh, this this medium has these possibilities and what can I then do with it? And I think that sparks ideas of um, what then to do with the medium. No, no, I mean, I, I completely understand this is kind of a very tricky question, especially asking right. creative <laughs> folks. And that's had, that has been my journey so far. So right. when, when you, and, and the reason when you said intuition, I just like got the point because... Uh, musicians uh, even i yeah. think varun grover's interview and lot of a uh, lot of artists uh, even sudhir patwardhan when i was talking about like how do you mm-hmm. start a painting most likely it's intuition most most of the right. time it's intuition because i i don't know again i'm classifying uh, or going deep into difference between intuition and instinct but yeah mm-hmm. that's a separate story but it <laughs> it starts with something which is kind of there's something inside and then there is an external stimuli and then you sort of figure out something. I have a brilliant thing to share if that helps uh, other, again, listeners and something for you to ponder upon that. In in the Indian tradition, I think in the, it's in Hindu philosophy uh, somewhere, uh, the the ritual is called Arundhati Darshan Nyay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what it means is uh, uh, Arundhati is a star, uh, uh, which is, and Arundhati as a character in mythology is also considered to be sort of whatever epitome of chastity and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. she revolves, the star revolves around a sage called Vashisht. Mm-hmm. And and because Vashisht is slightly bigger, the Arundhati is always faint, fuzzy and sort of not very mm-hmm. clear. Uh, but she's like pure as whatever, like whatever. Now, in this tradition, what happens is the newly, what a bridegroom on the wedding night, the person shows as in like the male shows that the Arundhati, it just mm-hmm. points out. And when you're pointing out, you really don't know exactly where it is. So you take, right. you take smaller steps. You say, okay, can you see this building? Okay. Can you see the antenna next to it? Can you go three centimeters above, take a right, and then you slowly reach that point, right? right? Uh, uh, and if, so, in, in obviously, in the Western world, we have North Star as a similar mm-hmm. concept that you know something, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe you have like visualized, or as you said, yeah. I had a vision of what I wanted, right? but it, it just unfolds as you go along. In fact, I use this narrative in while, while talking about MVPs. When you design mm. MVPs, it's almost similar. Uh, I call right. it minimum visible path 
it's it's just that much you know so you walk it very thoroughly and it also helps in i believe uh, knowing your calling also because you're walking the path and right. you're trying to explore yeah. as well yeah yeah i feel like um sometimes i don't i don't remember where i read this or who said it but there's somewhere where i said it's it's kind of like um um you know headlights in the dark where mm. as long as you i mean you have a certain you have a, an idea of a final destination but at, at the same time you only need your headlights only need to light up the first 200 meters ahead of you and you're able to mm. make it to your destination you don't necessarily need to see the entire path right at the start Beautiful. there may be turns and and um, you know bumps along the way but at the same time as long as you're able to um get ahead step by step you are able to eventually reach the final uh, destination but at at any one point you only need visibility of the next your... 200 meters ahead or how much ever your headlights are able to um, illuminate for you beautiful beautiful cool uh, so ruchika i have two last questions and one sure. is uh, more of again like going a bit uh, philosophical or whatever like strategic and the last one is obviously more more tactical and more hands on sure uh, so the one which is the first is like yeah because you are hoping to go wide and explore different mediums and and so on and so forth Uh, i remember one interview uh, not like not my like not audio gan but someone was interviewing varun grover and he said that if you want to write don't read for now like you can read but don't read like go and maybe like do cooking or do something else right. other than this right yeah i think he said like if you wish to write do all other things than writing <laughs> uh, basically expose yourself to many other right. things now in this case how does it fit in because you might you might just see some good person like doing some sculpture yeah. and like or what a sculpture and then that's what you wanted in your work now yeah. Yeah. Uh, like i you know what i mean right i i feel like the i feel like that that bit of advice translates across um different mediums actually and i think it comes down to any form of um uh, any 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 form of work that involves like an ideation to execution process where um there is a certain rigor to ideation and then there is a certain rigor to execution and those are different types of um processes and sometimes you do need a little bit of a a break between those things in order to approach them with a certain kind of clarity and um so for me i find that no matter what type of work it is whether it's a writing project whether it's an artistic project uh whatever it is um yeah there is a there is a certain point where i feel like i don't quite know how to go about this or i don't quite know what to do with this and that's when i do need to take a step away from it and you know just kind of um do something else work on some something else or or just kind of move away from it for a little while um when i can feel myself hitting a wall of some sort and you know kind of um uh coming up against um a wall where i'm not quite sure how to um uh you know kind of um move past it and i feel like that's something that comes a little bit with um i mean as your practice sort of matures and you become mm-hmm. a little more familiar with your own um 
habits and uh, tendencies of working. Um, it can be a very nerve wracking and scary thing when you're much, much younger, for sure, where you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to move forward with this, especially if you're, you're say, in college, you have deadlines to meet and things like that. And you don't quite know, you're, you're kind of stuck with a particular idea, you don't really know how to move forward. And I think that can be a little nerve wracking. But I think the more you do it, you realize that you have to have a little bit of faith in yourself that you're going to you're going to figure this out with the tools that you have. And so mm-hmm. I think um, for me, something that has been uh, very sort of relieving and um, allowed me to kind of go a little easier on myself is realizing that I'm actually quite decent when it comes to improvising um, last minute or being able to uh, problem solve um, uh, on the fly. And so I think it it really just becomes then a process of kind of building faith in yourself and your own abilities and realizing that it's fine. If I step away from this for a while, it is going to, um, I am going to be able to come back to it with a renewed kind of energy and with, and be able to tackle this problem in a different way. And it also helps, I think, stepping away. Uh, the reason that it helps is because I think it engages your lateral thinking ability a lot mm. better, where if you're trying to solve a problem in a particular way or being or trying to arrive at a particular kind of solution, you're doing that with a certain um, uh, notion of what that solution needs to be. You are trying to say, okay, this is the outcome I want and this is how to get to it. And so you end up developing a little bit of t- tunnel vision when you are just stuck with that one thing and you're just not, um, um, you're, you're, you're basically, you're basically, again, kind of just like hitting a, a wall over and over again and expecting a different result each time you come up against it. And um, so I think stepping away allows you to then see, oh, no, wait, maybe I'm thinking about this entirely wrong. And what if I approach it from the side? And what if I, what if I'm approaching it from an a different direction and so I think stepping away from something gives you that space to kind of get out of that tunnel vision a little bit and be able Mm -hmm. to then suddenly um, see the problem in an entirely new way and that's where solutions really kind of come from you know is uh, when you're not when you're not continuously if you if you sense a wall then you know you're not just like hitting against it again and again and then hoping that at some point it will finally crack or give way it's not going to you know you you need to be approaching it in a different way so i think for me i think that's where it it really um uh, intuition really comes into play where you want to i think intuition itself it's it's a skill it's a very very fine skill people don't think of it as necessarily as a skillful thing but actually the more you practice sort of um, paying attention to your intuition, um, it it really starts to speak to you more easily over time and it starts to get louder. It's a very sort of faint voice in your head that, and it's a very, it's it's like a sense that you have of things. So for me, I, I try to kind of as much as possible train my intuition to be able to kind of sense different things um, around me. So for example, if I'm hitting a wall, I try to be, I try to recognize that as quickly as I can to try and see, okay, this, this, something doesn't feel right about this particular path towards a project or this particular uh, method of um, approaching this particular project. Something feels a little off. You want to you wanna be able to develop that sensibility of saying, oh no, it feels like I'm trying to force a square peg into a round hole. You know, like you want to be able to develop your intuition to that level of specificity where you are able to sense what it is that you're, what it is that you're grappling with. Does it feel like I'm hitting against a wall? Does it feel like I'm kind of stuck in a hole that I can't climb out of? You want to be able to visualize visualize these these experiential realities of your own uh, in as specific a manner as possible because I think when you arrive at that level of specificity you then know what to do about it when you know okay I'm hitting a wall over and over again uh, and then 
if you are able to recognize that with clarity, then you know, okay, I need to, I need to find a different way to approach this. This is not the way to, because then it just expends your energy when you keep trying to do the same thing and then you're expecting different results um, each time. So I think that's why it just becomes really important to then uh, develop your intuitive um, skills to be able to kind of get a sense of how you're moving through your life and your work um, and then be able to navigate it uh, more intelligently. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I think, think that's where. That yeah, yeah. No, I think what you're saying is making complete sense, but I think because I've been through that little journey, I can sort of connect the dots. Right. Uh, but it's, it's typically, it's typically just how much have you explored or how much have you exposed yourself to, 10,000 things. Sure. Uh, then it seeps in and yeah. then it 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 sort of surfaces up at the right time. So just right. stepping away uh, is can be a good one. Yeah. And yeah, interesting. Faith, interesting <laughs> sort of keywords are uh, <laughs> helping me understand. Cool. Uh, one last question, which is uh, more on the tactical front because I, I love the video where you have sort of explained uh, I think it's called the 10 practical realities of multidisciplinary practice. Right. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Uh, in there, in the end, you have, obviously, it's quite a big feat that you have covered so many things. Uh, but you speak about being a project manager, mm -hmm. handling billing, building relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, going solo seems like a very gigantic feat. Uh Yes, to a certain extent, it has because of Instagram and other influencer channels. Now it is little simple, uh, but it seems simple uh, at the end of the tunnel. So, so that's right. also a different story. <laughs> but like then, yeah, why? Like why? It's, what is sort of what keeps you motivated or like? Why do you do this? I mean, it's so hard. Um, I think. Uh, I think that's that's a I think that's a really great question to end on specifically because I feel like that that um, that kind of really uh, speaks to one of the sort of core driving forces behind my practice, which is to be able to kind of operate as a bit of a free agent. Uh, and I was actually planning to make a similar sort of uh, little video in in the same vein as the video that you were talking about um about what what this what this means and what are the advantages of trying to be a free agent and what i mean by that is basically you know there are all of these irritants that we come up with in, in our life where you know you have a certain kind of client that you never ever want to engage with again you have a certain kind of boss that you never want to have to engage with again um you you have you have all of these or you have you're working in a certain industry where the the red tape of that industry really kind of keeps you locked in and doesn't allow you to be able to kind of um move around um um, with freedom. And so I find that another sort of the, the other reason that I like to be sort of cross-disciplinary and not really commit myself too strongly to any one discipline is because it allows me a little bit of freedom and leeway to color outside the lines and to kind of play, uh, uh, <laughs> not really play by any specific industry's rules. So for example, um, with, uh, like I was saying, you know, where I try to go about even my academic writing in, in slightly experimental ways, 
that would end up being a problem at some point if if for example academia was my life if i had to uh, you know rely on it for my uh, livelihood where i had to uh, i would have to if i had if if i had to commit myself wholly to academia as a discipline this, that would end up becoming a challenge at some point where um, i would at some point have to play by someone's rules because that that is how you that is how you end up advancing in a particular um, industry or being able to um, you know profit from it more uh, strongly where you know you even if you're in a particular industry or on a particular track um, especially if 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 it's a certain kind of job market or a job industry you uh, there is a certain trajectory that you need but also want to follow where you want to be more successful at what you do you want to secure your position more strongly you want to be able to um, grow in that field you want to be able to take on a uh, bigger kinds of uh, bigger uh, tasks and more responsibility uh, you want to be promoted you want to get paid more there is there is there are all of these realities to uh, any kind of uh, work and standard, so standard incentives yeah <laughs> right right exactly across and that happens across any any kind of discipline and any any kind of field and i mean that's just like a reality of life is that whatever you're doing you want to do it better so that you can make a better life for yourself um and so uh, i have so that's the other challenge with trying to be interdisciplinary is sometimes you know you if you're trying to do too many things okay then it you come up against this problem okay what is it that i actually do and what is it that i am able to it, it to some degree all questions do come back down to are you able to use this to support yourself and uh, create a um, a living for yourself you know so um i feel like the the reason that i have tried to um develop different disciplines at the same time is so that i always have some kind of a safety net or some kind of um if 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 one particular thing um um you know uh, only is able to support me to a certain extent then i have something else that's able to support me and that is kind of a it's kind of a long game that you have to play mm. it's not a it's not something that will deliver results instantly it is something that you have to kind of strategize over the long term where um you think about um how to kind of develop these slowly in parallel so that you it's it's almost like the process of creating multiple streams of income uh, in a way right but when you are in a creative practice everything moves at its own pace and different types of work move at they move at different paces and so you want to kind of be aware of um uh, those things where uh, you uh, for example i i talk about in the video that you were mentioning i talk about how it it helps to kind of use your um your most developed skill first in order to kind of um you know uh help support the other areas of your practice that need a little bit more time so for example if i am working a, on or secure a client maybe using yeah that. and this is i mean everybody kind of does this in a way where for example if they have a dream job they and they have a day job right now where they you know they are working on a particular thing but they're saving up on the side to be able to finally pursue their dream job at some other point but basically you're using the skills that you have right now with you to be able to um uh, support uh, the other areas of your practice and so i find that in a in a multidisciplinary practice where i'm trying to work on different things that all move at different paces for example it would take the uh, an art project like the dollhouse project a lot longer to monetize or become profitable versus say my design consulting practice which is has 
much quicker turnaround, right? I am able to, and that's because I'm trained as a designer. Um, so people can kind of, um, uh, people are confident enough to come to me with projects. I'm able to get to secure clients more easily in that um, field. I'm able to ramp up and be able to charge more over time because I am well-versed enough in that field to be able to uh, position myself as something of an expert. And so people are, I am able to kind of um, build my client base um, that way and be able to monetize that work far more quickly than I can monetize, say, a writing project or a miniature project or an art project and things like that. And so the way that I like to think about it is how can you use your 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 first skill or your most developed skill or your most monetizable skill? How can you use that to then support the other areas of your practice and mm. be able to um uh, I, I like to think of it as using your income to buy yourself time. And uh, so mm-hmm. to, you know, the more you're able to use your, your sort of um, uh, easiest, quickest, most accessible skill uh, to kind of ramp up as quickly as you can um, so that you're able to earn more in that way so that you're able to, um, you know, kind of buy yourself time. So when my when my design consulting practice reached a certain level of maturity where I was then able to take on um where I was then able to take on big enough projects that I am not um I'm not I'm able to say take on one project uh, every two or three months and that would be enough in terms of an, a monthly income. So that way I was able to then say spend um uh, two days a week on my uh, consulting work and then I get the remaining three days of my work week to be able to work on other projects you know so I think it comes down to a lot of those kinds of practicalities of mm. um, how do you kind of strategize the sort of the long-term um, vision for your career in such a way that you're slowly building up to other things and at the same time it's not just about leaving it to kind of stagnate in that same position it's about how okay you, you're using the three days of the week how are you using the three days of the week to ramp up all of those other areas of your practice so that eventually say in one year or in two years or in five years they are able to then uh, take on some of the burdens um, mm. and be able to kind of create that balance and for me this year has actually not this not this year I mean 2022 which is last year now um has been really kind of monumental for me because um that that was the first year where design consulting did not take up the lion's share of my annual income where uh, I did a collaborative I mean I did a collaboration with um uh, Samsung where I had to create a, a miniature um room box mm. for one of their ad campaigns and that project uh ended up kind of tipping the scales because for the first time my yearly income was not of you know kind of uh, it, it was not um uh contributed to majorly by my consulting practice which has been mm. the case for many years where for me the uh, in in uh my annual income the most most of it would be uh attributed to my consulting work where that was my main source of income uh and all of the other things that i do whether it's miniature commissions whether all of these little things would be um smaller sources of income on the side but not necessarily able to claim the lion's share of it. Um, and so for me, 2022, that's why it was was quite a monumental year because that was the first time that the scales tipped. And so I could, mm-hmm. you know, say that now finally there is a certain balance that's being achieved in being able to um, establish multiple sources of um, income. And so I think that, uh, and that allows me again that, um, freedom to operate as a bit of a, a free agent where I can be 
because I have multiple things going for me and because those multiple things have um, ha- have reached a stage where they can uh, be um, monetized and be profitable to me and be financially viable in some way or have some kind of potential for financial viability, um, it allows me to be a lot more choosy about how I go about my engagements with other people, with other industries. I can pick and choose to a, a degree that a lot of people usually can't, uh, don't have the luxury of, where I can say, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to work with 10 clients in a year out of which eight of them will be really, really difficult and annoying to work with. I can choose to work with mm-hmm. my two favorite clients in the year. And that's all I, that's all I need to do because I don't have to work with the other eight because my income is not fully hinged on that one particular type of work. Mm. It takes a while to kind of build build up to that that level of um that freedom of agency but at the same time i think it is an achievable goal it's it's a goal that never really ends you have to kind of keep working at it and working at it it is very much like kind of trying to run a business of some sort where you have to really kind of put in the work to be able to uh, sustain all of these different areas of your practice um simultaneously where uh, you know they're able to kind of all collaboratively support you in this uh, and create this web um, around you. You have to continuously network with people across different industries so that they know what you're doing, so that they know the value you can bring so that you're able to. Uh, there's always some some kind of a backup um, uh, option or there's always some something um, uh, to be. And I think it, it also just ends up then... Uh, helping you in the long run, because then people Mm. start seeing your value and being able to move across different um, spaces. So you then you're able to act as a sort of go between uh, across um, different uh, disciplines. And I find that happening with um, my um, academic practice at the moment right now is because um, I am able to bring something different to the table because I'm an academic. I mean, because I'm exploring Mm. my academic um, practice in creative ways. And that allows me a certain kind of uh, liberty. It allows me a certain kind of liberty to play a little bit outside the rules because I'm not necessarily committing myself to the industry as a whole where I need to play by its rules. And, you know, the minute somebody says, no, no, this is not how you do something, I'll be like, that's fine. I, because I'm not, I'm not really trying to be, um, <laughs> I'm not really trying to be a full-time academic. So I don't need to play by those um, rules. And I can, you know, kind of try to uh, do my own thing. And that's not an excuse not to do, try to do something well. That is not like coloring outside the lines doesn't mean that you color badly, you know? Um, <laughs> so you do want to put some work and some thought into uh treating your work with a certain kind of care, not treating it carelessly. Like if I'm using um, elements of, uh, say, um, academic writing in my work, I want to be thoughtful about that because that is a discipline that has a certain kind of history. The same with miniature work, the same with design practice. All of these things have a certain kind of history, a certain kind of, uh, they they carry a certain meaning about what it means to do something well in that field. And so you want to be respectful of that just because you're not playing by something's rules doesn't mean that you're doing a bad job of it, you know. Mm. Um, because then nobody's going to take you seriously. That's the crux of it is that if you do it poorly, nobody is going to take you seriously. And you're just kind of, you're doing a disservice to other uh, multidisciplinary, cross-disciplinary artists who are trying to make something out of, um, you know, um, their particular approach to their work. So I think it, it becomes really important then to then be very aware and sort of educate yourself on what it means to do different types of work 
well. Um, and it's it's really only for your own benefit because again, like I said, it's very it's it's easier when you have a when you're committed to a certain discipline mm. to get by with doing mediocre work because you know there'll mm-hmm. always be somebody to hire a mediocre designer or mediocre uh, writer or whatever you know you can always be writing for some little blog or magazine somewhere and nobody's really going to quality check your work too much but if you don't if you choose not to commit yourself to a particular discipline when you commit yourself to a particular discipline it's like having a a little bit having like a parent who might take care of you for your uh, life where you know you you'll have a certain job you 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 may you know you'll you'll find uh, if you lose one job you may be able to find another one there there is a certain system that will support you but at the same time that system will also limit you and it'll kind of uh, draw lines um, around you and say no you know you can't do this and you can't do that and you'll get frustrated with it but at the same time you're like okay this is my livelihood i am able to make a living with this but if you consciously choose not to commit yourself to a certain discipline it's like you're out in the open open sea by yourself and then it is the onus is on you to keep paddling and keep swimming and you need a certain kind of stamina and energy to do that um and so it then becomes really really important then to whatever it is that you're doing you have to do it well because that then that's the only way in which people will take you seriously i can't just be having like a little miniature practice as a hobby on the side and then not do a good job of it and expect uh people to take it seriously or people to come to me with that kind of work then they'll just go to any other miniature artist who does it better you know so if i'm yeah. going to color outside the lines you have to be very conscious of um uh, doing a good job of it um because it's very it's if you don't then it's very easy for people to dismiss you because you're not really fitting into any particular yeah. box but when you do it well that's a really really powerful thing because yeah. then people can suddenly see this sort of very um complex value that you're able to bring to um a project so i think that that's what what makes it really important to then be very aware of what it means to work in 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 different disciplines but also to do a good job of it yes yes i think yeah this is a good note to end i mean a uh, lot of takeaways from here but uh, as you mentioned that it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of patience uh, and i think most importantly when you said about being a free agent and sort of out there in the open a lot of faith is definitely required on that note so all the best more power to you and uh, Thank thanks you. a lot for being on the show thank you so much thank you so much for having me it was a real pleasure talking to you awesome thank you that's it and that's it from today's gyan session for show notes and more gyan visit audiogyan.com and if you wish to connect with me i am at audiogyan moments on instagram Until then take care